0: all right well let's jump into our study this morning jude is the book i would tell you chapter one but it only has one and uh, we're going to start picking it back up again uh at verse three really verse one but i want to go back and want to remind you of what we've already looked at so far as we've been unlocking the book of jude here and it's interesting that Jude is one of those books that sits in the Bible, it's right before Revelation, and yet very few people have ever read through this book or ever studied this book. A lot of pastors don't preach on this book, and uh, it's kind of one of those that's tucked away in our Bible. But out of all the books of the Bible, I believe that this one is more apropos to the time in which we live than, than many of the other books that are in the Bible. And uh, there are some things that Jude does assume in the book, and he tells you so as he gets rolling. But remember the audience that we're talking to. Jude identifies himself not as a brother of Jesus Christ, although he is a brother of Jesus Christ, a half-brother. Uh, he actually refers to himself as the brother of James and a servant of Christ. He, he's making a spiritual argument here. He says, I'm no better than anybody, any of you that are reading this letter. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ just like the rest. And uh, then he tells us why he's writing. He says, I'm writing to those who are called, those who are beloved in God, the Father, and kept in Jesus Christ. And we talked about that word kept there is eternal security. That is the fact that you can know that you're going to heaven. If Jesus Christ can lose you out of his hand, what does the Bible teach? You can't, it won't happen, but if it could happen, let's argue that it could happen this morning. Uh, the Father who is greater than he holds Jesus and you in his hands. And what does the Bible specifically say? No one can pluck you out of my Father's hands. So if you're kept in Jesus Christ, you're kept in God the Father, you are eternally what? You're not, you can't fall away. can't happen. So James or Jude here says flat out eternal security is a thing. He says, you are, kept in, you are kept for Jesus Christ. And then he says, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. These are the sign marks of a Christian, aren't they? These are the marks of, of our Heavenly Father. They're the marks of a Christian. Then last week specifically, we talked about verses 3 and 4. And he says, beloved, I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, but instead I found it necessary to write to you appealing that you what? Contend for the faith. He says, I would write to you about our common salvation means what? He's writing to saved or lost people. He's writing to saved people. These are Christians already. And he says, I'd love to write to you about the common salvation, which, by the way, every time Paul wrote a book, what did he refer to? The common salvation that he and they had. And Paul is normally encouraging the believers and says, hey, I'm writing to you as fellow believer, as a fellow bondservant, as a fellow foot soldier of Jesus Christ. Jude says, I would love to write to you about that stuff, but instead i got to write to you about something else. And he says, I need you to earnestly what? Contend for the faith. Notice there's one faith. What faith is it? The faith. And in case we doubt that, he's going to double down here in just a minute and show us that there is a specific faith the Bible teaches that doesn't change, that is universally accepted by all writers of the Bible. And, and it's, he's going to make a flashback to that here in just a second. Notice he goes on to say, I'm, I'm writing to you that you contend for the faith that was what? Once for all delivered. What does that mean? How many times was the gospel given? Once. And who's it good for? All people for all time. So this is truth. This is a gospel that doesn't change. This is a gospel that's the same yesterday, today, forever. This is a gospel that is very much a known gospel. It's not a, a something that we have to go seek, not something we have to go find. It is something that is very clearly given in scripture by all the writers of scripture and there is one gospel and if you remember last week and if you weren't here last week go back and watch last week's video we supported this with all kinds of scripture remember that we supported all the words with scripture and showed you how the greek words can be chased throughout the entire bible well new testament for the greek hebrew for the old testament right but you can go and chase these words through the Bible and find out how the words were used in context. So we don't sit down and say, I wonder what this word means. No, we know what the word means because we can compare scripture to scripture and we find out what it says. So then he goes on and says, That was once delivered to all saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for a condemnation, ungodly people who perverted the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. And we kind of closed on that last week. But now, through our investigative ID discovery, through our research and through our observation, interpretation, and application of Scripture, we are now going to delve into who is he talking about? What are the characteristics of these people who have crept into the church, who have slipped in unawares, who are these people that, verse 4, these certain people that have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were destined for condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our Lord God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Who are they? Well, unfortunately, um, we've got to know the Old Testament to figure out who they are. Because rather than Jude giving you names and faces, what does he do? He uses comparison contrast words. He goes in verse five, "'Now I want to remind you.'" What does that have the inference of? You already know this. You've already been exposed to what I'm about to tell you. um, Mainly why? Well, remember, Jude is in the area of Jerusalem. He's the half-brother of James. He's working in the early church. And he's working specifically with what group of people, probably? Jews. What would the Jews be well-versed in? What book would the Jews be well-versed in, or what portion of the Bible would the Jews be well-versed in to understand what they already knew? The Old Testament. So Jude is about to give them a bunch of Old Testament references that they would have already what? Known. So these are already given to you guys. You guys already know this. So I'm not going to go and divulge all the truths and dig out all the nuggets and tell you what these stories are because you already know it. Fast forward to 2022 today. What part of the Bible do most believers not know? (laughs) So we are at a disadvantage here, okay? Okay. And admittedly so, we're at a disadvantage. And if I were to take every Old Testament reference we're about to look at and even give you five minutes of a review on each of the stories, we're going to be here until six tonight. Okay? Maybe not six, but definitely three. Okay? Uh, We don't have time to go into all the nuances of it. So I'm going to give you scriptures. I'm going to give you references this morning. And then I want you to be a good student, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, but able to rightly divide the word of truth, I want you to go back and be able to look at it. Now, I'm going to put verses up on the screen for you this morning, and I'm going to skip rocks on the Mississippi River, okay? The more times you hit the water, the deeper it's going to get, all right? So just be ready to swim, just be ready not to drown. And if you don't get it this morning, you know what? It's okay, because guess what? It's in your Bible, you can go back and you can study it. You can read about it. But what we're going to give you today, how many of you are old enough to remember cliff notes? All right? Those of you that had to write papers and had to read a book and you didn't feel like reading the book, you read the cliff notes, which you told about the book just to pass the test or quiz or write the report that you had to write, right? And some of you that wrote about The Last of the Mohicans found out the book and the movie weren't the same, right? So this morning, we want to give you what the actual facts are. All right, so through our investigative discovery, we are looking for, and I'm going to help you out here, we are looking for the common thread, the common theme, okay, that is in every one of these stories. And you say, well, it's going to be Jesus, okay, we're not in Sunday school anymore, that's a Sunday school answer. And yes, Jesus is going to be in every one of these stories. But what we're looking for is, specifically about these people who've crept in unawares, there is a common theme, there is a common thread we're going to see in every one of the stories that Jude lists here. So, you ready? So, fasten your seatbelts, get your seatbacks in the upright positions, we're, we're getting ready to launch here. So, this morning, it's, it's going to be tough, alright? We're, we're going to fly here. So, here we go. Jude is writing to a congregation in about 68 A.D., These people have already seen the ministry of Jesus Christ. These people have already seen the birth of the church. But they also are still seeing the sacrifices given in Jerusalem. They're also still seeing the temple in Jerusalem standing. Because in AD 70, what event happens? Destruction of the temple. So there are sacrifices being offered, and then there's the story of Jesus Christ being given, then there's the false religions that are still out there, and then there are self-proclaimed prophets and messiahs that are already coming on the scene. And Jude is living in a time in which truth has been turned into relativity. Now I know it's hard for us to comprehend that in the world we live in today, but this is what's going on, and this is Actually, why Jude is very apropos to our time. The very things Jude is addressing in the early church, we are addressing in the modern day church. And just like in his time, there was false teachers that have gotten into the church and people who are telling half truths, partial truths, or maybe no truth at all, are getting an ear of people. Jude is saying, hey, all the more, rather than writing about our common salvation, we all already know, that we already understand because we're all saved, rather than writing to you about that, I'm writing to you to actually go out and speak truth on behalf of God. Speak truth on behalf of Jesus Christ, who is going to keep you until he comes. And, and I've given to you grace, mercy, and love, and peace, great, uh, mercy, love, and peace. I've given you mercy, love, and peace, and wherever we find mercy, we find who? The twin brother, Grace right? So grace, mercy, love, and peace has been given to you so that you can go out and you can actually do this for God. You can go out and do this in God's name through Jesus Christ and be effective in speaking truth because every time truth has been given in other cultures in the Old Testament, truth always wins. Truth always wins. This is Jude's argument whether it was with Korah and his rebellion, whether it was with Balaam and his rebellion, whether it was the angels who rebelled against God's initial intention for them, whether it was Lucifer and Michael the archangel doing battle over Moses' body, regardless of what Old Testament thing's going on, truth always wins. So contend for truth. Contend for the faith. Contend for what matters to God. And this is Jude's admonition to all the believers that are willing to read his book. And he says, contend earnestly for the faith. Now, now what in the world do we find as we go through these stories? Well, we're going to find a couple things that are true. There have always been, in every generation, a group or, or specific people who try to thwart the word of God. Who was the first? Satan, Lucifer himself, in the Garden of Eden, he tries to do what with the Word of God? He twists it, right? He quotes part of it, right? He gives partial truth, but along with partial truth, you also get partial error. And that error is what Jude is saying, contend for the faith. So he says, in the church... You're going to find, by the way, he's talking the universal church, okay? He's talking about believers. Within Christendom, there are going to be believers who have snuck into your midst that are not genuine believers at all. They may even look like it. They may sound like it. They may be sincere in how they deal with things, but they're not true. And the Bible here, actually, in Jude says this. They are already being destroyed while they're doing this work. They're already being destroyed. The place is already being prepared for them where they're going to go because they don't believe. You see that there? Look in the verse. Now I remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus Christ, who saved people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not what? So these are going to be people who, although they know who God is, they don't believe him. Although they know what he's like, they don't follow him. And although they know what God wants, they work against him. And I think you're going to see in every single Old Testament reference that's given here, you're going to find somebody who knew what God wanted and they worked against him intentionally. And today in our modern time period in America, the United States of America, there are pastors, there are churches, there are teachers, there are people, although they know who God is, are intentionally deceiving people for their own desires. And Jude not only tells us what their characteristics are, but he also tells us what their motivation is. And when we see the motivation that's listed here, mind you, this was written in 68 AD. All right? How many of you were alive then? All right? So it's not like Jude had the advantage of going forward in time, looking at 2022 and saying, yep, I'm going to write about that guy, that guy, that guy. No, these are, these are, if it's truth, it's what? If it's truth, it's repeatable in any culture, at any time, in any place. Right? Truth isn't relative. Truth is a constant. By the way, that's why God is truth. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So let's look at these. Let's, let's go already down through the passage here and begin to tear this thing apart. Uh, so the main thought is we're being warned that there are several characteristics of false teachers and Jude is going to use the old Testament to prove it. So he says, first of all, I want you to understand when a false teacher enters in unaware, their path is always destruction. They're always looking to destroy what God is trying to do. Now think no further than the very first time sin occurred, right? Where was the first time sin occurred? Well, we'd like to say the Garden of Eden, but how Lucifer get there? Right? So it had to have occurred in heaven for him to be already cursed to the ground. So in heaven, what was the sin? I will be like the Most High God. Guess what? Is that his original position? Is that what God really wanted him to be? So when the angels left their original state, their original position, and thwarted God's will, do you remember that reference that Jude makes reference to? Look down in your passage of Scripture here, a couple verses. Verse 6. Look at verse 6 with me, and notice what it says specifically here, as we look at it. And the angels who did not stay with their what? Their proper position and their proper what? Their proper position and authority, or position of authority, our translations say. What was the original position of angels? To rule over God or be subservient to God? So when they tried to usurp the authority of God, what happened? Well, they left their proper dwelling. What was the angel's intentional dwelling place, original dwelling place? Where were the angels created to inhabit? Heaven. Heaven. By the way, what what was hell prepared for? The devil and his angels. Hmm. So God had to create hell for the devil and his angels because when he created them, he already knew they were going to do what? Leave their proper position and authority to try to usurp God's will and try to usurp the authority of God. So today there are angels. We know there are different levels of angels, right? If you ever study angiology or demonology, you'll understand the Bible clearly teaches there are different levels of angels. There are free angels and there are bound angels. The angels that are bound, some of them were bound because of this act right here the rebellion against God. They were chained in darkness for all of eternity. There are angels today that are loose and they're free to move about the world and they tempt people. They do the work of Lucifer in opposition to God even today. And they too will have a day, won't they? They too will have an eternal judgment. Well, it's already been rendered, but the consequence of their judgment is going to be carried out when death and hell are cast into what? The lake of fire, which is the second death. So, the angels who did not stay with their position, what did they do? They willfully rebelled against God's known will did they not they challenged god's authority and because of that god judged them now let's back up a verse and go back up to verse 5. now i remind you although you once fully knew it that jesus who saved a people out of the land of egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe remember when moses went in and he said what let my people all of us know charleston heston there right I mean, we all know Moses' last name was Moses, too, right? Moses, Moses. Um, see, I get easily distracted. Um, so, the children of Israel in the land of Egypt—they're going to be freed from the land of Egypt. They're going to go to the Promised Land. And on their way out of Egypt, what happens? A guy named Korah decides that it's better for us to have been in Egypt than it is to be in this God-forsaken wilderness. And you know whose fault it is that we're all out here? Guess whose fault? Moses, Moses' fault. And you know what? We need an insurrection. We need a new leader. Let me ask you a question. Who called Moses to be the leader? Did the children of Israel know that Moses was the man? Absolutely they knew. What had they already attested to? They've seen the ten plagues. They've seen God kill the firstborn of the Egyptians. They've seen all of these signs, all of these things that God is working through Moses and they're delivered out of Egypt and now they're faced with this problem of being in the wilderness and Korah's like, man, Moses brought us out here by the Red Sea so we could all die and, and this is not good and, and we just need to go back to Egypt because we were so much better off there, weren't we? Not really. And what do we know about Korah's rebellion? How did God judge them? On the spot. And the earth opens up in an earthquake and swallows not just Korah, but anybody who rebelled with him or swallowed up, and immediately the ground comes together. Now try to rescue those guys. That's done. I mean, they're done-done, right? Did Korah know that Moses was God's man? Didn't did Korah know that it was God's will for Moses to lead children of Israel? And yet he chose to rebel against God's known will. Right? So, we, we work further down through our text this morning. And um, let me just give you some verses that, that talks about people who willingly try to usurp God's will. What the Bible says about it. Proverbs chapter 6 verse 32 says this. He who commits adultery lacks sense, and he who does it destroys who? He destroys himself. People who willfully sin, willfully rebel against God on a regular basis, they're only doing damage to who? Themselves. Proverbs clearly tells us. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 18, check this out. Flee from sexual immorality. Every sin that a person commits is outside the body, but sexual immoral person sins against what? His own body. So when you choose to willfully rebel against God, who are you hurting? God has a standard. And he says, when you don't meet that standard, you're hurting who? You're hurting yourself. Don't do that, he says. Revelation 21 and verse 8, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, adulterers, all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is what? Are you going to suffer for any of those people? No, they're going to suffer for who? Themselves. And God says it is a serious thing to understand who you are in him. Look at Numbers 14, verse 28. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, that you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. "'Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, "'and of all your number listed in the census, "'from 20 years old and upward, "'who have grumbled against me. "'Not one shall come into the land "'where I swore that I would make you dwell, "'except Caleb the son of Jephunneh, "'and Joshua the son of Nun. "'But your little ones, "'who you said would become a prey,' I will bring in and they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead bodies will fall in this wilderness and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years and shall suffer for your faithlessness until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness. According to the number of days in which I, in which you spied out the land 40 days A year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity 40 years, and you shall know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this will I do to all this wicked congregation who are gathered together against me in this wilderness. They shall come to a full end, and they shall what? They shall die. They're personally responsible for their actions, for their rebellion against what God willed. Now, here we know it's talking about what event? The old song, right? Twelve men went to spy on Canaan. Ten were bad and two were good. What do you think they saw in Canaan? Ten were bad and two. This is the spies going in the land of Canaan. They come back and they say, what do they find? Giants. Walls. Mighty men of valor. We can't do this. Two guys go in and say, what? Man, there are grapes bigger than my head. There, there, There is... The the gardens are planted. We don't even have to do anything to them. Those cities already have walls. We don't even have to do anything to them. And all we got to do is trust God and go in and take the land, right? And in Israel's rebellion, what happens? They follow the false teachers more than the author himself, God. And rather than do what God tells them is going to work, they think what they're doing is better than what God is doing and they suffer the consequence in this one. It does affect some other people. Because for 40 years, who wanders in the wilderness along with the ones who are going to die? The children of Israel. Are they still God's people? Yeah. Are they still going to get the land of Canaan? Sure they will. Are they going to get it today? No, it's not going to happen. So Jude, Jude is building on these arguments. He says, you know, um, now I want, you to, I want to remind you Verse 5, that although you once fully knew it, Jesus who saved people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who didn't believe. He says, remember those, those spies? Remember the, the, those? I destroyed them. And why did I destroy them? Because rather than following me, they followed somebody's opinion that was opposite to mine. Now, he transitions again into the next verse. Afterward destroyed those who did not believe and the angels who did not stay within their own position or authority. We already talked about that, right? The original sin, when they usurped the authority of God. Some people also want to argue that there's an Old Testament portion of Scripture that talks about that the uh, children of God slept with the daughters of men, and, and uh, that, again, they left their position there too. However you want to interpret that passage is up to you. I argue that the original occurrence of usurping the authority of God occurred when Lucifer rebelled against God himself. So whether or not you need that other text as a proof text, I don't think you do. I think you go back to the original uh sin and that's when they usurp the authority of God and they've been doing so ever since. So, but there are some commentaries or there are some people, remember I'm giving you the observation and the interpretation here, so there are some that try to argue that that is another portion of scripture given in the book of Genesis, but I I think they're wrong. All right, that's just where I'm at. Here's the point so far that Judah's made. The point is this. Judgment is always much harsher against those who have greater access to truth than those who don't. The children of Israel, did they know who God was? Did they know what God wanted? They rebelled against God, and what did they earn? Death. Lucifer, did he know who God was? Did he know what... God was capable of. Did he know his position and know what truth was? And he chose to rebel. And we're going to see that as we go down through. These are the characteristics of those who have crept into the church unaware. And by the way, those who are in churches week after week, we know that there is Gospels out there that lack the life-giving transformation power of What God intends for his people to know. What truth is. Our society is all about throwing off God-given roles of creation. Is it not today? Man thinks it's better for men not to lead. And for men to be cohabitating with men in homosexual relationships. Um, The evolutionist movement is what? A rebellion against God's argument of what? Creation. Creation. And Romans 1 says this, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and, and usurped the authority of what God had intended things to do and substituted their own authority in place of God's. So we're living in a time period much like the time period of Jude, that Jude is talking about here. I don't, think I, I don't think we have to be told that we live in a culture that is not in line with what God intends in his scripture. I don't think it's hard for us to, to, to reach out that there are uh, many characteristics of our own country that are out of line with God's intentions. And, and while the social uh, culture that we live in may profess itself to be wise, we know who is wise. And, and although our culture thinks that they know what's better for the world and the environment and for society, I'm glad that there's a book that knows more than what they know. So I'm going to follow the book. I'm going to follow truth, and I'm going to tell you what the book says, and I'm going to tell you what the truth is. So he says this, those that know truth are held to a higher standard before God than those who don't. All right? So that's what he's arguing using these Old Testament. Now, there's a lot more that we could go into, and yes, I'm skipping rocks on the Mississippi. But let's look at the practice now. Let's get practical. Let's, let's begin to do the interpretation part. We've observed what Scripture says. We know the Old Testament talks about these things in depth. Um, but let's see what the current practices of these people are. Start with me at verse 8 and notice what it says. By the way, we skipped Sodom and Gomorrah. Does anybody have any questions that that place was a little corrupt? that they weren't really following God's standards when it came to sexuality, immorality. Um, you had men wanting to sleep with angels in that portion of Scripture there. Um, you, you had all kinds of crazy stuff going on. So Sodom and Gomorrah is mentioned in verse 7. I'm skipping over it because I think most people have ever been exposed to the Bible understand who Lot is and understand the story there. If you don't, go back and read it. But let's jump down to verse 8 because we need to kind of keep... In line, the thought process here. Their current practice. Jude calls these men what? Get in like, like manner also these people relying on their... Man, dreamers. Have you ever heard that term used in our time period? Dreamers? Um, have you ever talked to somebody who God revelated something to them in a dream today? Have you ever heard of people talk about how God gave them in a dream or a vision something and it's opposite of what scripture says? So Jude's going to tell us straight up how to deal with that. What does the Bible actually say when it comes to these things? Well, look at what verse 8 says. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. Now... I'm going to stop there because the verse stops there. But remember, we're in one continuous thought here. Jude is writing in one continuous flow from verse 5 all the way down to verse 11. He's making one argument using all kinds of facts, all kinds of truth, and all kinds of information that these people already what? They already know this. He's reminding them of what they already know. The word used here for the word dream is only used one other time in the New Testament. This is why we got to do the investigative work. We got we to dig in and say, okay, when I think of the word dream, I kind of have, well, how many of you had a dream last night in your sleep, right? You dreamed a dream. Was it real? To you it was. To everybody else it never happened because it was a dream that you had. The word dream here is not that connotation. It describes a visionary prophecy. These people that have visionary prophecies, all right? It's used one other time in the New Testament, and it describes visionary prophecies, and what was going on is these men were using these supposed visions to indicate that God had given to them permission to do things that went explicitly against God's character. Now let me ask you a question. Would God ever do that? He wouldn't. So when these visionaries go against the character of God, Jude says, be careful of them because they're going to do a couple things. Number one, they're going to defile the flesh. And here he's talking about sexual misconduct, but it also talks about being a stain on one's garment that they walk around defiled like a stain on one's garment. How many have ever gone out to eat somewhere and spilled food all over your shirt? But then you still got two more hours before you get to go home, right? So as you walk around, what are you declaring to everybody? I had spaghetti for dinner. Or I had, you know, what? whatever's on your shirt is on your shirt. It's stained. It's declaring. It's making a demonstrative statement. I wonder if they ate dinner. Do you think they ate dinner? I'm, nah, I don't think they ate dinner. Today. No, the stain says what? I ate and I missed. Right? I missed the mark. This is a missing of the mark. It's a stain on their character, he says. And another stain is that they reject authority. They refuse God's authority and God's word and God's standard, and they substitute their own authority, their own standard, their own thoughts about what God is like and what God wants. Now, mind you, I'm talking about 68 AD here. So if you got mental pictures of some ministry, some person, some character in our modern day period, it's because you're seeing where the Bible's truth is being still revealed even in our own day. All right? But this is 68 AD. This is happening. They reject authority. That means they tear down the things that are in place and they deviate from God's word and substitute their own. And then they revile the heavenly host. Check out this next verse. Verse 9. But when the archangel Michael, contending with with, uh, the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, I'm not going to name names. I'm I'm not going to say any denominational things or nothing here, okay? But I'm going to make a statement of what Jude just said. Jude said this, even Michael the archangel, when he fought with Satan over the body of Jesus, never rebuked the devil directly. Did you catch that? Do you see that? He never said what? The Lord rebuked you. You know why? Because he knew if he wasn't sending the message of God, he had no power. If he wasn't professing the word of God, Michael the archangel has no power to stand against Lucifer. You get that? Remember when Jesus became flesh? Remember the kenosis passage? And God made him a little lower than who? The angels. If man is lower than the angels, where do we stand in the hierarchy? Are you more powerful than Satan or less? Okay? Now, you can go to churches and they'll say this, I want to tell you, you go to that old devil and you tell that devil to get out of here. Guess what Michael the archangel would never do? That. Think about that. Michael the archangel has more respect for Lucifer and his power that God has given to him that the only authority Michael the archangel has to stand in the presence of Lucifer is to speak whose words. Do you grasp the gravity of that? So I want you all to this morning to take, I want you to tell that old devil to get out of here. I want you to tell Lucifer to, you know what you should tell Lucifer? The word of God. What did Jesus do when he encountered Lucifer? He hit him with the word of God. He didn't sit there and say, you get out of here. I'm gonna attack hell with a squirt gun. He, He didn't do any of that nonsense because that's what it is. It's nonsensical. They have no idea who God is. They have no idea who God made Lucifer to actually be. And professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And they're professing their foolishness in front of hundreds of people in congregations, and the people are buying it. And they're thinking that they have that power to do that. And then when they take on Satan head-to-head, guess what happens? Satan just plows them over. Like, like fodder. And then all of a sudden, guess who's responsible for that? Well, God, it's your fault that this is happening to me. Is it? Even Michael the Archangel wasn't dumb enough to attack Satan. But we are and we have preachers and we have people that take scripture out of context today because they don't know what the truth is they substitute their own authority they substitute their own position and they substitute their own truth and then they try to go do spiritual things and they find out they got no power and they fall flat on their face and then guess who they blame they blame god see god your word isn't good enough see god your truth isn't good enough and, and man, does God have a word for that coming up here in the book of Jude. He's going he's gonna to deal. But remember, we're investigation ID discovery this morning, right? So this is our main job. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna unveil this. Let me show you some passages that talk about this concept a little bit. This idea of um, we, we, uh, they have corrupt practices, okay? 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. So when we confront evil in our word, in our world, we are doing it from what source? God's word. Is God's word powerful enough to go against Satan? Absolutely. Jesus proved it. Moses proved it. You you name the the person in the Bible, you're going to find that they were able to overcome evil. Don't overcome evil with evil. overcome evil with who's good. That's it. You overcome evil with God. Now, check this next verse out. 1 Corinthians 6.15 Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? No way! Never! 1 Corinthians 6.20 For you were bought with a price, so glorify God with what? Your body. Glorify Him with what you are and what you do. Luke 6.46 why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not what I? Think about that for a minute. There are those that are going to profess the name of Jesus Christ who don't do what he called them to do. Malachi 1.6, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I then am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you. O priest who despise my name, but you say... How have we despised your name? Here are priests in the Old Testament doing things opposite to what God wants, and they're saying what? How are we? Def- How are we the ones with the problem? I'm doing your work. 1 John two three and four, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we what? Keep his commandments. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a what? He's a liar. The truth is not in him. First Peter 5.8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking who he what? How many of you have been wandering around like a lion seeking whom when you can devour Lucifer? He say, I don't have time, I don't have resource, I don't have energy to do exactly. He's not like us. He's different. He's he's got power that we don't have. But with the Holy Spirit of God, the Word of God in His church, what do we have today? We have power. We have resurrection power. And by the way, what did resurrection power do for Satan? Rendered him completely ineffective. Because what he thought would stop Christ in death, what did Christ use for eternal life? His death and resurrection. And what Satan thought to be the master plan, God said, nope, I've got the master plan. Satan, you're going to bruise his heel, but he, Jesus Christ is going to destroy your head. I don't know about you, but if you were given the option of a punishment, and you could take a Louisville slugger to the heel or a Louisville slugger to the head, which one you picking? You want the heel shot, right? Well, when Genesis 3.15 was written, the prophecy was this. Satan, you're going to bruise the heel of Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ is going to destroy your head. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and it will bruise thy heel, but thou shalt bruise his head. The seed of the woman would destroy Satan. And what did the cross and the resurrection do? It rendered Satan inactive. By the way, if we're going to proclaim some experience or we're going to proclaim some truth from scripture that isn't expressly mentioned in scripture, then we need to be sure that our experience lines up with what scripture actually says. Because those who know to do good and don't do it, what is it called? It's sin. God is never going to go against his own character. He's not going to do it. Now, let me give you the the motivation for these guys, and we're going to come back and revisit some of these points, all right? So I I know uh, I was talking with Jeff yesterday, and we spent two hours, almost two and a half hours of drive time talking about this message. And I never opened our Bible, did we? We did it straight, well, I guess I read a couple verses, but we did it straight just in conversation. There's no way we can cover everything that Jude is arguing here. But I do want to show you the last point, and then we're going to put it all together and show you what they all have in common. We're going to uncover the motivation. Look with me down all the way down to verse 11. By the way, verse 10, The the Lord rebuked uh, these people, blasphemous, all that they do not understand. They are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. It says, Woe to them, for they have walked in the way of Cain, they abandoned themselves for the sake of Gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. Everybody got that for application? Let's pray. <laughs> this is a summary statement. He says, they're, reasonable anim- or they're like unreasoning animals, understanding instinctively. Woe to them! For they walk in the way of Cain, abandoned themselves for the sake of Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are the hidden reefs. At your love feasts. He transitions thought again in the very next verse. So, verse 11 is the summary argument for all that Judah's been arguing to this point. Did you get it? Let's stop and let's talk about these real quick. The way of Cain. What was the way of Cain? God said, give sacrifices. Abel gives a sacrifice approved to God, Cain does his own way. Does he he obey on the outward? Looks like it. But what did God actually want? A proper sacrifice. What was a proper sacrifice? Animal. What did Cain offer? His own byproducts. His own labor. His own fruit. And he offers it to God and says, God, it's good enough. And God says, what? No, it's not. It's not good enough. And even though on the outside it looked like he had right motive, it looks like he offered a sacrifice, he obeyed. It looks like he was doing everything right. But in the end, what does God say? No, it's not right. It's wrong. So then Cain, by his own authority and in his own animalistic instincts, does what? Kills Abel because that makes things better. Right? I kill him that makes it better and notice what verse let's back up to one verse to verse 10 again those that are not believers of Jesus Christ those that have been deceived by the deceiver those that act out in their own authority their own way their own thought process right like all the ones listed above us these people blaspheme all that they do not what and they are destroyed by all that they like unreasoning animals Understand how. When you walk up to a dog and it bites you, why is it biting you? Who taught them to bite? You don't teach dogs how to bite. What do they do instinctively? They bite. Why do they bite? It's a natural defense mechanism for them, right? They understand they have bite force. They understand that their voice matters. So instinctively, God has built into them A desire to defend and protect themselves or defend and protect you if they're protecting your property and you. And God put that in them instinctively as a natural reaction to something that's bad. What was a natural instinct put into mankind when he rebels against God? How many of us are like, yep, God, you're right. You're right. I sinned. I'm sorry. You're right. No, what do we do? We deflect. We project. We instinctively try to push away responsibility and blame everybody else for our problems except who? And you know what animals do? They do the same thing. They project. They react. They instinctively do opposite to what, what is right usually. And mankind, left to his own device, will av- always gravitate towards evil. And here it's telling us this, that these men who walked in the way of Cain are going to do exactly what Cain did. What did Cain do? He acted instinctively to eradicate the problem and ignore like it was never there, right? So he kills Abel and does what with the body? He hides it. And God comes out and he says what? The blood of Abel is calling me. Now that would be a little creepy to hear that, right? the blood of Abel is calling me it's calling out to me and God confronts Cain and Cain what he's guilty of murder the first murder in the Bible first time man does that and he's taken his own authority his own action his own sacrifice and what appeared to be religious and responsible on the outside actually was corrupt and not biblical on the inside how about Balaam you gotta love Balaam right what is Balaam known for? A talking, a talking donkey, right? How many of you have ever had your animal talking? I think Mr. Ed really messed us up on this one. Remember that old show, Mr. Ed? You know, for us to think a horse can talk to a person, I mean, it's like Wilbur, you know? This messed us up because it's like, I could see a horse talking to someone. But that's not what's going on. Here, Balaam has been hired, right? He's been hired by the king to pronounce destruction on what people? Israel, God's people. And Balaam, every time he opens his mouth, does what? He blesses them. And every time the king gets more frustrated with Balaam because it's like, dude, you got one job. (laughs) One job. Curse Israel. He can't do it. Finally, disgusted. He's in rebellion against God. He's substituting. He's trying to substitute his own authority. God is usurping him in every way. And now even his donkey won't listen to him, right? And what's he say? He curses the donkey and, and wishes the donkey was never born. And, and he's all mad about everything. And he finally rebukes the donkey one last time. And his donkey turns around and looks him in the face and says, Why do you keep hitting me? I would think that would be weird enough, right? But he actually has a conversation with the donkey. He begins to talk with the donkey. And the donkey declares what? The reason I'm not going to move is why? Why? There's an angel with a sword and flaming on fire standing in front of me. And if I move, he's going to kill us both. His donkey says, I'm doing you a favor, Balaam. Just stop. But these people are like the way of Cain. They have animal instincts that are on the attack. They're self-preserving while they're spiritually killing people. Number two, they look good on the outside, but they're corrupt on the inside. Number three, they're hired guns getting paid to do opposite of what God desires to be done, just like Balaam. And finally, we have who? Well, we already talked about this character a little bit. We have Korah. Korah knows Moses is God's leader, God's handpicked leader, and still usurps the authority of God's known leader to substitute his own thoughts and his own will more than God's will. So who are these people? According to the word of Cain or the story of Cain, he saw fit to design his own sacrifice that was better than God's. The second motivation is out of greed. Balaam sought money more than he sought God's intention and God's will. And Korah and the 250 lives that were lost and eventually 17,000 lives that was lost, it was all about power and not being chosen as the leader. Matthew twenty three fifteen says this, What are you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you travel across the sea and land and make, to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. How many of you like to preach that sermon sometime? I don't think Jesus was too kind in that one, do you? He's calling it out. Matthew 23:25. "What are you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and plate, but the inside is full of greed and self-indulgence." First Samuel 15:23, "For rebellion is as a sin of divination or witchcraft, and presumption is as iniquity of adultery. Because you have adre- rejected the word of the Lord, He has also rejected you Saul from being king." We are not allowed to create a religion of our own design. God has not given us that right. Whether it's worship, theology, morality, preaching, we are not allowed to do it the way that we want. This is the essential essence of idolatry: placing yourself in the place of God to decide what truth is. A submissive spirit to the will of God is what God desires. Ecclesiastes 5:10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also to his vanity. Jeremiah says this, like a partridge that gathers a brood that she did not hatch. So is he who gets riches not by justice. In the midst of his days, they will leave him. In the end, in the end, he will be a fool. Acts chapter eight. We could talk about that. First Timothy 6: and verse 10 says this: For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wavered away from faith and pierced themselves through with many pangs or many sorrows. What is the theme that all these have in common? Korah knew what was right and chose to rebel against it willingly. And because of that, he had demise. Children of Israel knew that God brought them out of Egypt. They knew who God was, and they rejected God's authority and substituted their own thoughts and their own position about the giants and the walls and the crops. And then we were to go to Balaam. Balaam, who knew who God was, instead of pronouncing the evil that he was supposed to, pronounced good, knew he was doing it, and took money and extracted money out of people for his own gain, rather than glorifying God and supporting the people of God. And just like Cain, who knew what was right and how to sacrifice, because who taught them how to sacrifice? God did. Who showed Adam and Eve what the first sacrifice was? And what was the first sacrifice? They tried to use plants and God used what? Animals. Without the shedding of blood, there's what? No remission of sin. So Cain offers up his thoughts of a sacrifice. Abel offers up a proper sacrifice. And because Cain inserted his own authority in his own position, he too was in opposition against God. Just like when Lucifer challenged the authority and position of God, where did he end up? In opposition to God. And Jude says that the people that are creeping into the church are going to be those who on the outward appearance may look to be spiritual. But when that spirituality is tested, when it has come through the fire, it comes up empty. Let me ask you a question. Where were the faith healers when COVID hit? I'm being honest. Where were the faith healers when COVID hit? Where are those? Where was the hope when COVID hit? How many of you know Christians who were freaked out of their minds about what was going down? We live in in the time that Jude's talking about. We live in that generation where there is speak that is being spoken in the name of Jesus Christ that has no power, no authority. When it's tested, it crumbles like a house of cards. But what about the real Christians? What about the ones who know that you're not going to die one day before God wants you to die? What about the ones who can stand on the authority of Scripture and says, I'm not going to fear what man can do to me. I'm going to stand on what God says we should be doing. And if evil is being propagated in our world and good is being held back from the world, let me ask you a question. Who's holding it back? That's what Jude's arguing. It's powerful, isn't it? It's powerful. Because who's holding back truth from going out? I would love to write to you about the common salvation we all already have, but I can't do that because there is a more urgent need than sitting around talking about how all of us are going to spend eternity in heaven and what a great day that's going to be when we're together with all the saints for all of eternity. But here's the reality, folks. There are false teachers that are already out there in the name of Christ, projecting and proclaiming they got truth, but their truth is empty. It's corrupt. It has no truth in it. And there's no end that glorifies God. And the only way you're going to overcome that is not to go out and call out all the false teachers as wrong. It's going to be to go out and actually share truth with a world that doesn't have a clue what truth is. And when they sit down and they take truth, when Korah was presented with truth, Korah lost. When Balaam was confronted with truth, Balaam lost. When Lucifer was confronted with truth, Lucifer lost when, take every Old Testament story you read about in this passage, when all of them were hit with the truth, who won? God won through truth. By the way, what is his word called? Truth. Jesus said, I am the way the, and the life. No man can come to the Father except through me. So if you can come to the Father in any other way, in any other name given among heaven, then do it. The problem is you can't because there's only one way to get to heaven and that's through jesus christ and jude says i want you to know i know you know what salvation is because you guys are believers your fellow co-laborers of the faith but i'm telling you in 68 a.d we already need to contend for the truth because false teaching is rampant and it's going out there and he's going to talk about it even more in depth as we dig into this book deeper and as we have to keep reflecting back to these characteristics. But in our discovery ID today, we're going to find out the problem that we have in our society, in our world today with getting the truth out to the people is not God's problem and it's not Satan holding us back. Who's holding it back? The truth tellers. And God says, I have placed you in the time for such a time as this. You need to contend for the faith. And just like I've showed you in my word, just like I've showed you in every story of history, when Satan attacks truth, who wins? Truth always prevails. So then what are we afraid of? What are we afraid of? Now, don't go out and tell Lucifer, Lucifer, you old scoundrel! Because you're going you're to lose. Even Michael the Archangel wouldn't do that. But when we have mercy when we have peace and we have love. First three things he gave us in the book, if you remember. When you have those things, you don't need to go out and confront people because our warfare is not against flesh and blood. Our warfare is against principalities and powers. It's a spiritual war. And to win a spiritual war, you have to be a what kind of person? A spiritually minded person. So because you're spiritually minded as saved people... And because Jesus Christ is keeping you until he comes, so you're not going to die a second before God wants you to die, and you have eternal security already in your midst, and we know it's the Father's will for this to happen, then why is it not happening? So rather than write to you and tell you what good Christians we are, I'm going to argue this. We need to contend for the faith. And this is something we already know. How many of you came today and found out today's the first time ever you had to contend for the faith? We all know this. And Jude's even given the the mental ascend, he says, I know that you know this. So speak truth. Don't attack people, don't attack religion, don't attack denominations, speak truth. And if the characteristics of those people that you are speaking to are in opposition to what God's word says, don't punch them in the faith, give them truth. What happens when a false teacher gets saved? The same zeal they had for the, the lie, how much more zeal will they have for the truth? Those of you who know who James Dobson is, you know exactly that's what happened to that guy. He set out to prove the Bible wrong, and in the end, he became one of the greatest advocates for the Bible we've ever had, or one of. So the is simple. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You have truth. You have the book. Read the book. Read, go back and read through this, what James is say, or Jude is saying. James is going to say the same thing. 2 Peter says the same thing. And 1 John says the same thing. Do we really love God? If we do, we'll contend for the faith. We'll speak truth where truth is void. And where truth is evident, what do we do? We agree with truth. We celebrate truth. We celebrate that we found another believer in truth as well. So what are we going to do? We know their motivation is evil. It's against God but we know we have truth today in God's word. Let's speak truth this week, shall we?